Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, I just recently returned from a trip out west, out mm-hmm. into the deserts of, uh, of Arizona. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, my wife and I visited uh, the Desert Museum, which I highly recommend anyone visiting Arizona, they, they go check that out. Because it's it's not really a museum, it's more of a botanical garden with some animals living in it. And uh, it, it really opens your eyes to how diverse a desert ecosystem actually is, how much life is there, even if it is life that is thriving on a, on a smaller level, you know. So many amazing varieties of cacti, got to see a live javelina for the first time, which was, which was on my list of things to do. But then I also learned for the first time that a pack rat is an actual thing. Well, I, I just kind of assumed prior to this that, uh, that when people said, oh, he's a pack rat, he's a pack rat, that maybe we were referring to some vague um, myth or legend that rats like to collect items and store them somewhere. I had no idea. I, I, I have to admit that it was an actual creature. Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, I'm sure that a lot of our listeners know this, listeners in the Southwest, yes, right? Yes, they're very familiar with it. apparently pack rats um, are a bit of a pestilence, uh, a bit of a problem. Yes. And uh, are something that people try to get rid of because they like to take up residence in cars sometimes and, and chew through the wiring or just get into the house. Yeah, they, they like to set up camp. And as we'll discuss in this this episode, they do collect objects. They like to use them to decorate their little homes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the object, often the objects they collect uh, in an urban environment are not things you want them running off with, like parts to your vehicle, important parts, or car keys, or right. teeth. Uh, these kind of things can uh, can vanish when you have pack rats in the area. They can be very destructive, but. They are a very fascinating species, mm-hmm. like deceptively fascinating and deceptively useful. Uh, so we decided we would we'd take the time to to consider the pack rat and to examine some of the things that make this an interesting species. Which, you know, the next time you look out at a uh, desert vista, you should consider these guys and how elaborate they make their homes. But before we talk about this, let's talk about uh, where they actually roam and a bit about what they look like. Yeah, um... There are presently 21 living species of pack rat, um, or neotoma, uh, occurring in a wide range of, in, of habitats. Uh, you'll find them around the edge of the Arctic Circle, all the way to the tropics of Nicaragua, uh, throughout western Canada, most of the U.S., Mexico, Central America, also known as trade rats or wood rats. Wherever they roam, though, they have two key requirements, all right? They need succulent plants for food and adequate shelter. And when I mean succulents, I, of course, mean cacti and tiny cacti and, and desert. Not uh, delicious, succulent yeah, not, food. Not just delicious foods. That they, they are cactus lovers. They depend on the cactus. That's where they get most, if not all, of their water. Like these guys are in, in their natural environment. They're not going to go search for a stream to lap up water. They are getting it exclusively from the cacti that they're chewing on. And uh, I dare say that these guys are actually pretty cute and cuddly looking. Yeah, they look like little mice. Like they're not... I mean, I don't know what one would expect a pack. I guess you'd expect it to have little, little pockets and, uh, and like, chains <laughs> and jewelry and kind of look like Hoggle and Labyrinth or something. But uh, Have, like, a little grocery cart. Yeah, 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 a little grocery cart full of junk pushing along. Um, but, but, no, they, they're kind of 
to the untrained eye, they look just like a mouse of some sort. Yeah, they have grayish-brown fur with tawny undertones, white feet, and undersides. Uh, they can be distinguished from their distant relative, the Norway rat, by their blunt noses and long whiskers. And they usually measure anywhere from about 8 inches long to 15 inches long, depending on the species or the subspecies. Um, the tail is another 5 to 7 inches. And wood rats' tails are more furred than scaly. And they yes. have... So they don't have that... That uh, that possum rat yeah. tail, where it's just like a naked, squirmy worm type thing. Then most of the time you see that and you kind of recoil from it. But this is more of a furry tail, and they have extraordinarily large, round ears. Again, this is what makes them, I guess, uh, in, we can put them in the cute category because yes. of this. Uh, the tail is covered by loose skin, which can be shed to escape a predator. That's, that was really fascinating because it's, it's kind of like a lizard, right? Mm-hmm. Except it's not shedding the entire tail. It's just shedding the skin off of it, which sounds horrifying as well. But uh, certainly if an owl is coming after you, um, better that he takes the skin off your tail than all of you. Yeah, it's a neat trick, right? Yeah. And, the, and the owl gets something out of it as well. Yeah, right. Thanks for the memories. Yes. Um, so, yeah, and they are usually solitary, although a bit. We'll talk a little bit about more how they deviate from solitary confinement of their, of themselves. Well, it is interesting that they're solitary because the idea of a pack rat, as, as we throw the term around in human environments, is you often think of a person who lives alone and collects lots and lots of things. Mm, are so, you, you're thinking hoarding territory. Yeah, hoarding territory, which is a whole other podcast, uh, which we'll get to. But, but a, a much darker podcast than uh, than what we're talking about here. Yeah, because these pack rats, um, they're not just trying to accumulate for accumulation's sake. They, there seems to be a couple of different things going on for the, for the reasons why they are accumulating debris. Uh, but let's first talk about these guys as architects. Yes. So the big thing about the pack rat. And the, the thing that fascinates us, and, and, and ultimately the reason we are talking about them now, is that they build little dens, little homes. And if you look at one of these uh, houses, it kind of looks like a little dollhouse made out of sticks and garbage and just desert materials, just cobbled together into this little home. It's 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 really fascinating. And it's not just a, one of these things where we look at it and we're like, oh, it looks like a little home with little rooms for different uses. They actually use the different rooms for different things. It's very intentional, beginning with what you could call the front door. Uh, usually they will use stands of troll or prickly pear cacti. Yeah, the whole thing is, is surrounded with prickly cactus bits that serve, A, as a barrier. Mm-hmm. And this is really interesting because um, you have uh, Native American tribes in the area that would depend on these living uh, fences where they would take bits of cactus and sort of strap them together and make little fences out of the cacti. Mm-hmm. And uh, the pack rat does the same thing and was doing the same thing long before humans occupied the area. Right. So if a predator were to come to their nest, then they would be met by this, uh, you know, cacti, which would not feel so great. And the pack rats actually cut them into three to four inch long pieces and carry them to their nest sites in their mouth. So if you see a stand of, say, prickly pear and you see little score marks on it, you can Mm -hmm. tell that a pack rat has been there. Um, So the cacti does serve both as a nest protector and as food. And it also provides uh, some really good insulation. The the temperature inside of that uh, that pack rat den is really stable, and, uh, and it all comes from the insulation. Okay, so the nest actually consists of two parts. There's the house, which is the collective material, which is mostly above ground, mm-hmm. and then the nest itself, which is du- usually dug partway below ground. So that's where we start to see these different chambers and these specialized areas for the pack rat to live in. Right. 
they'll have several rooms that are devoted for, to food, storing food, because ultimately, if you're a rodent and you're living it rough out there in the world, you're going to want to store away some food, right, to survive uh, the lean times. And so they'll have as much as three bushels of plant material stored away in there. And then they have um, another area that is actually thought of as, um, we call it sometimes a daytime retreat, yeah. like a day room, uh, which is very helpful during the, the more intensely heated summer months, right? Right. Uh, but it's also used as a nursery sometimes. Oh, so it's like a bedroom slash nursery slash rumpus room? I guess. Yeah, yeah, sort of like your guest room in your house, perhaps, uh, is, is a multi-purpose room. And then, this is really interesting, too, they have a latrine. Yes. And, and, and now that sounds kind of like iffy, like, oh, man, why would you have you know the latrine as part of your nest? But it's... Well, the humans have a lot of room to talk. So, right. Well, since we true. started doing indoor plumbing and moved our bathrooms inside, everyone has a room that is devoted almost entirely to pooping. So you may you may not think of it that way, but that's what you have. What do you think it would do to us psychologically if we just renamed restroom, poop room? The poop Everywhere, room. wholesale. Yeah? Like no matter where you went and you just say, oh, I've, I've got to go to the poop room. Yeah, it would. I mean, the thing that gets me, it's one thing to call the bathroom. Okay, so bathroom. All right, call it a bathroom because it has a bath in there. All right, fair enough. You're going to put the spotlight on the, the thing that's most relaxing and has le- less to do with our bodily functions. The restroom. Okay, well, you're going in there. You're, well, you may be doing something restful, but it also there also might be a very stressful uh, incidents going on inside that room. But what gets me <laughs> is the water closet, where it's where this is when you have uh, have a room that only has a toilet in it. Like if anything is a poop room, that's a poop room. But we call it the water closet. It's a great euphemism. Like, like I it's think. a magical little room that has a fountain and a waterfall in it. It does sound kind of lovely. I'm going to the yeah. water closet. The but, WC. But that is essentially what the pack rat has, a water closet. Because, yeah. again, it, it, the pack rat doesn't want to go outside during the, this horrible heat and uh, and use the restroom elsewhere. She needs a, an indoor potty, and that's what this room <laughs> is. Well, if she went outside, too, she would be subject to predation from, like we said, owls, snakes, and coyotes. Right. So this is another reason to have an indoor latrine. Um, and actually, too, when they bring in some of their collectibles, they do bring it into the latrine, and they, they urinate on that. Uh, which creates uh, a bit of a specimen that we'll talk about later on that's very helpful to our understanding of the environment. I've, I've heard it put that they'll bring in uh, things to, quote-unquote, decorate their house, and yeah. then as they tire of these decorations, as they become old, or as we'll discuss in a minute, when some of the elements that they use to decorate, when they lose their functionality, mm-hmm. they dump them into the latrine room. So not everything goes directly to the latrine room. Sometimes it's like, oh, I'm kind of sick of that painting, I'm going to put it in the poop chamber. Well, and see, th- again, this is very intentional, right? It's interesting that they would be decorating, in quotes, right, mm-hmm. their dens and having a sort of revolving artwork or installation that eventually gets put into what we call the midden. This is the area that they urinate on, and we'll talk more about the midden in a moment. But they also have been known to line their homes with leaves. Yes, particularly bay leaves. You know, the type of leaf that uh, you put in your spaghetti. Yeah, very aromatic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you would think of this as a kind of wood rat potpourri or pack rat potpourri. Yeah, you might think that at first. But it actually serves a, a far more important purpose, and that is to keep the pests down. It's basically they're fumigating 
the den. Right. So they don't want ectoparasites hanging around, particularly where they sleep. So they line this area with those bay leaves, and that really acts as a repellent, which I thought was completely fascinating. So not only do you have artwork that is uh, revolving artwork that, you know, disappears and goes into the latrine when they get tired of it, but you've got these nice, fragrant bay leaves scenting the den. Yeah. I also found it interesting that sometimes they have roommates, like non-rodent roommates, uh, such as box turtles, skinks, lizards. Yeah. Well, no, sometimes other rodents, but uh, uh, which you also see with uh, with beavers, uh, as I recall, um, the other animal that is general, the, the beloved animal that, that builds houses out of crap that it finds. Beloved. Yeah. Well, beloved, because the beaver, it's like, oh, the, the, the beaver is, we, we look at the beaver as this uh, this industrious creature that's mm-hmm. doing good in the world, but the pack rat is a pest. The pack rat is a destroyer, right? But they're basically doing their own thing. It's just to what extent they, they interfere with human plans. Well, that's because beavers don't try to hotwire your car. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yet. Yet. Um, <laughs> so I found it interesting that the, the pack rats may have uh, some other creatures living around, like uh, I, I mean, a, a pack rat that lives with a box turtle. That that's a reality show right there, that, or a sitcom <laughs> setup that I would watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we have, you know, said that they're primarily solitary, but the fact of the matter is, is that they are largely matrilineal. These societies, and they live in a pretty loosely cooperative society. So when the pups are weaned, this is really interesting. Males. Uh, and that's will, one to four babies, by the way. Yep, one yeah. to four babies. The males will actually leave the den and they'll go off, uh, you know, into the hinterlands. But the females will move to adjacent stick houses, remaining close to their mother. And then when the matriarch dies, one of her daughters actually will inherit the stick home. Wow. And uh, a single wood rat can um, maintain this home for several generations for the same family for decades and decades and decades. Oh, wow. Now, this this leads to an idea in my mind. What if you had Downton Abbey? (laughs) All pack rats. Already. Wouldn't that be great? With like, oh, what's her name? Maggie? uh, Uh, Maggie Smith. Is that her name? Uh, the, the the Dowers on there? Right, right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, as a pack rat. I think that would be great. Well, they would have an awesome art collection. Yeah. Already you know that. Um, again, another great idea for a show there. Uh, but you know what? This is all sort of pointing to this idea that pack rats aren't just collecting things. They are actually giving us a clue of how um, how the earth once was. Yeah. And we can look at them not just as architects, but as archaeologists. And we're going to take a quick break. But when we get back, we're going to discuss this idea a bit more. All right, we're back. And we are already inside the pack rat's den. We have talked about their latrine room, uh, the midden, where they urinate copiously uh, on uh, old bits of art and uh, and, uh, and. by which I mean bits of uh, plant, pollen, animal bones. In more recent years, lots of human artifacts, pieces of cars. There's one story about a man's uh, false teeth going missing, and they showed up in one of these dens. Anything that catches their fancy. And they were gathering this stuff from a wide territory. Yeah, about a 100-mile radius is where they gather all of these different materials. And so when a pack rat urinates on its collections... Uh, the high calcium oxalate content of the urine helps to solidify and preserve the items in a hard, resinous, or vitreous-looking-like material called midden. Yeah, their urine is very viscous, too, just to throw that image into your mind. Yeah, and the, the midden kind of looks like peanut brittle. It's been described as that, or chocolate bar filled with nuts. And there's even one account of um, 
people who were seeking out the gold rush back in the 1800s, um, getting to a part of the landscape that they were traveling through um, and not having enough to eat and actually finding the midden and using that as a food oh, source. Yeah, they said it looked like, uh, well, kind of like Twizzlers, I guess, which I'm eating today because it's Halloween as we're recording it. Yes, I guess you could say like a, a honey-looking yeah. Twizzler. If I look on the package... Um, well, no, I guess uh, there, there are no ingredients on this. This is a fun size, but um, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's said midden, midden, midden materials <laughs> like ten percent. But um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, given a long enough time, though, this stuff will, will actually will crystallize into something that's almost like amber. And consider too that pack rats have been doing this for at least forty thousand years. We found midden material that's forty thousand years old, so. Inadvertently, in their garbage, they have preserved some fascinating tidbits about the history of the planet. Uh, much like uh, with archaeologists, when you look at human settlements, if you can find where they're throwing away their garbage, gold mine, because that gives you this insight into their daily life. What were they eating? What were they using? Mm-hmm. What was their life consisting of outside of, uh, you know, <laughs> religious iconography and what have you? What was the what was their daily life consisting of? Uh, with the, with the pack rat, uh, though, it's more of a more of an insight into past climates, especially in dry Western North America. Yeah, and actually previous to the 1960s when midden was discovered and it was discovered that you could actually strike archaeological gold here and use this to, to look into the past, mm-hmm. they weren't quite sure what some of the atmospheres or environments were during different eras. So in the 1960s it was discovered that these deposits left in caves and crevices by pack rats contained these assemblages of fossil plants and that's when they began to say, oh, okay, um, we can look at this and we can figure out what's happening during these tens and tens of thousands of years. Um, so, for instance, since numerous vegetation zones occur over relatively short distances in uh, places like the Grand Canyon, the newly discovered pack rat middens became a really good tool for comparing the Pleistocene vegetation zones with modern ones. And they did this by using radiocarbon dating. Nice. Yeah, so they could look through all of those layers and try to figure out what was going on when. And then in addition to that, the urine actually acted as a bactericide, so the organic material was preserved really well. Now, when future generations look back, I can't help but think there'll be a gap, though, the period during which cowboys uh, ate all of the, the candied urine cakes that the, uh, that the pack rats <laughs> left for them uh, in their in their dens. Uh, a gap in the, the midden fossil record. Yeah. yeah. Although all you have to do is look through their, uh, I'm sure, evidence in the caves, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> their droppings to try to find out what was going on. Now, one uh, little bit about the pack rat that we neglected to mention earlier is that, uh, okay, you have an animal here that lives almost exclusively on cacti. It's just eating loads and loads of cactus. Yeah. And it's getting most of its water from the cactus. But uh, there are several different toxic plants thrown in here as well. I mean, you have the juniper, the sagebrush, the, the yucca. There's a lot of toxin in there. So mm-hmm. the, the, the animal has to be able to withstand a certain amount of toxin, but also, interestingly enough, sort of manage its diet depending on what the toxin levels are. Yeah, and this is interesting. Some species or subspecies have actually evolved their uh, their kidneys to be able to excrete some of the toxins out really well. But what we're talking about specifically here are wood rats in the deserts of the U.S. and the Southwest, where, again, there's very few food resources, and you can't really be picky about what's available. Right. 
So they have found they have or found, but they have developed, uh, I should say, methods of dealing with this rather toxic appetite. They'll sample a number of different toxic items, so they're mm-hmm. not just chowing down on one thing and potentially getting an, an overload of one particular toxin. They're uh, eating smaller meals, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of you know we as humans we can understand that if the food is horrible you eat less of it. They'll increase the time between meals, which makes sense too, because if there's something toxic in there, you want to let your body work through it a little bit before you hit it again. And then if water is available, again, they get most of their water through cacti, but if there is a water source available, then mm-hmm. they will drink more water to help uh, compensate for the toxins. To try to flush it out. Yeah. It's kind of like some like college kids, I guess, on a, on a, on a weekend. You know, Drink more water, <laughs> watch what you eat. And, uh, and make sure you recharge between uh, toxic excess. Now, biology professor Denise Deering actually compared wood rats or pack rats that eat only a single plant. And these are called specialists, these, these wood rats. Mm-hmm. And so they would eat something like juniper, and that wasn't a big deal for them because, again, the, their kidneys and their livers had evolved enzymes that could break this down. But right. what you're talking about are those generalists, those wood rats, and that's where she discovered that they had these different behavioral responses in place to try to manage the amount of toxins in their bloodstream. Which So it's actually pretty clever because if you think about it, they, they get the sustenance, but they don't keel over with a belly full of poison. Mm-hmm. Um, they get to manage that process. And so she said that, that there's a possibility that they have a sort of poison detection system in place. So the generalists, are, they're, they're more smart uh, uh, in their management of toxic diet, whereas the uh, the specialists mm-hmm. are just hardy. They're kind of like the Shane McGowan's of the the rodent world, where they could they just have a higher tolerance for exactly. the toxics that they take in. Well, they just keep hitting that one plant over and over again, so mm-hmm. it makes sense that they would evolve to be able to deal with it. Um, but Deering actually says that other researchers have found receptors in the guts of other rodents, and she thinks that rodents, um, particularly the wood rats, may be able to detect bitter taste hmm. in their gut receptors. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So she So they eat it and then their gut figures out what's going on and then mm-hmm. s- then they get the signal, we need to drink some water, we need to space things out. Exactly. Or or let's just not eat a whole bunch of this. Let's not gorge on this because, you know, this is toxic. Yeah. So that's pretty fascinating. I'm getting a similar thing in my own stomach. Uh, from for, the Twizzlers? From the Twizzlers at this point, yeah. Well, it's it saying, might be the midden. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there, there, that's the pack rat for you. Again, I'm sure... A number of you you guys and gals out there uh, live in areas where the pack rat roams. You may have some crazy pack rat stories that have either been handed down to you or mm-hmm. that you've, uh, you've encountered yourself. We would love to hear about those, uh, so be sure to write in with, with uh, those tales. And again, if you head out to, uh, to Arizona, spending any time between Phoenix and Tucson, uh, go check out the Desert Museum. It's really fascinating. You'll learn a lot of stuff. Uh, and you get a lot of walking and hiking done as well. And you get to see a javelina, which uh, which is a treat, which is not a pig, really more akin to a guinea uh, guinea pig type of a you know, creature. But, uh, but but it looks kind of boorish, I guess. Did you ride one? No, I did not ride one. They, they're vicious. They will they'll tusk you, man. But, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so go check that out. Anyone out there listening to us, if you would like to share any of your tales with us about the pack rat or if you want to talk about any other uh, episodes that we've done in the past you can find us on facebook and tumblr we are stuff to blow your mind on both of those and we also tweet you can find our twitter account uh, by our handle blow the mind 
And you can also drop us a line at blowthemind at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 